Hey, this is Chase Masterson, host of the hit Discovery podcast, Disco Nights. Star Trek Discovery may not be back till next year, but rest assured, Disco Nights will be back this fall to talk the new Star Trek Picard series, as well as everything we hope and expect from Season 3 of Discovery, plus some other special surprises. Join me and our special guests when we return with all new episodes this August. Until then, Disco Lives! Hey, this is Mark A. Altman, co-host of Inglorious Trexperts. If you're a Star Trek fan who thinks you know everything about the history of Star Trek, check out my best-selling two-volume oral history of Star Trek from St. Martin's Press, The 50-Year Mission, available wherever books, digital, and audiobooks are sold. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And this is Darren Docterman, and we are the Inglorious Trexperts. Sounds so dramatic, Darren. Well, it should be. It's just like, I've had enough of you. <laughs> now, you know what movie that's from? Um, is that from uh, Star Trek 09? No, it's not. Is it oh, from The Godfather? No, that was me. <laughs> that was me watching Star Trek 09. <laughs> okay, well, look, you know, we've been getting, you know, so some people say we don't listen to the fans. That's true. We, we don't really. Um, but uh, but we got a lot of uh, people on Twitter who were saying, when are you going to cover Star Trek 3 for the 35th anniversary? We've, we, we've mentioned it in passing. And look, I think it's good because I think uh, <laughs> there's a lot of love out there for the movie. I was surprised to see how much love there is. So uh, we thought it was time to do insert of revisiting Star Trek 3. And who better to revisit Star Trek 3 with than um, Commander Burnett, Robert Meyer Burnett. Um, uh, he left Valkyris on a ship to die. And uh, he is, of course, the raconteur and director and editor and uh, YouTube personality. Uh, Robert Meyer Burnett is back. <coughs> no, I, I saved Valkyris. <laughs> I... <clears throat> I beamed her off that merchant ship at the last minute, and uh, she and I went to a Wrigley's Pleasure Planet, where we spent a fine month together. Where is she now, Rob? Don't know. <laughs> okay. But she's better off than when I left her. Oh, dear. And uh, and then uh, making a special encore appearance on the show, he was on uh, with us a couple of weeks ago, uh, which was uh, an amazing show, and... and uh, just a you know wild uh, synchronicity about how he discovered the show and came to be on the show, and he's 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 back for more abuse. The Organian, <laughs> we know and love him. Uh, the the author of 1980 seminal official Star Trek trivia book. Um, he's a, a journalist. He's a tech expert, a consultant, um, uh, and and just um, just a and fabulous he's a trivia human master. And a trivia master. Most importantly, for our purposes, a trivia master. Uh, the great Rafe Needleman has returned. Hey, it's good to be back. <laughs> he's uh, he's beamed down from Organia, and right. he's with us. And so um, I'm non-corporeal. Non-corporeal, exactly. <laughs> I, I don't take Southwest. I am a non-corporeal being. <laughs> I can really stretch my legs and coach. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, we're we're here to talk about a Star Trek three, which you know, look, I think it's the search for Spock. The search for Spock. The search for a directing career, as we we know it. Now yeah. we we've, we've ta- talked about um, Star Trek three on and off, and I know we've decried the hammy performance of Christopher Christopher Reeve, yeah, Christopher Lloyd uh, Christopher yes Christopher Cross. I've come Christopher. a long way for the power of Genesis. 
and what do I find? A weakling human, a Vulcan boy, and a woman. <laughs> That's all I remember. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, it's interesting. Like I said, I, you know, we, 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 I think we did a survey on Twitter where we said, you know, what would you like to see celebrated on the show, fetid on the show this year? Right. Because we were doing Star Trek The Motion, and still are, the Star Trek The Motion Picture 40th anniversary tribute all year long. All year long. And uh, we said, do you want to see Star Trek 2009 10th anniversary? Do you want to see um, Free Enterprise 20th anniversary? Do you want to see, uh, um, I don't know, there were a couple of, there were a couole bunches. The Black Hole. Oh, Star Trek 5, no, Star Trek, <laughs> Star Trek 5's 30th anniversary. Right. And uh, apparently the, the one that, 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 you know, our listeners showed the most love was Star Trek 3, 35th. Well, there's no accounting for taste. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting because we talked when we were we talked to Rafe last time. We talked a lot about how how important nostalgia is. Mm-hmm. You know, when we first saw Star Trek, you know, it's interesting because, uh, like with the James Bond movies, you know, I know w- what we love, and yet I talk to people and their favorite James Bond movies, A View to a Kill, and I'm like, how can that possibly exist be your in the same universe? James right. Bond movie and. You know, more often than not, it's the first James Bond movie they saw, or sure. the first James Bond movie they saw in a theater. Right. You know, so it, it, it has a special place in their heart. You know, but then I think uh, the first James Bond movie I throw in the mail with the golden gun, and I don't love that movie. But uh, but a lot of times it, it really is intrinsically tied to nostalgia, and I think a lot of these people, Star Trek Three may have been the first movie either they saw on videotape or they saw in a theater, mm-hmm. um, because how can that be someone's favorite Star Trek movie? I don't know. I mean, it was the. It was the first Star Trek movie that I that I audio recorded in a theater. <laughs> oh, I, I, I did Star Trek Two. I was a I, I was a pirate. I it, when Star Trek Two was out, I didn't have uh, a job to pay for the tape recorder that I needed to bring into the theater. Mm. But on Star Trek Three, I did, <laughs> uh, and it was uh, it was you know it was one of those things that I at the time I really enjoyed Star Trek Three. Did you? Absolutely. Absolutely. I was in 100%. That's really interesting because I had a different reaction. And mm-hmm. I want to ask you all. I remember seeing Star Trek II and really, really liking it sure. quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Still saying it was a great TV episode. I said it's not a movie the way Star Trek The Motion Picture was a movie. Right. And this is even when I was, you know, I was, I was young. I mean, when I was a teenager. And, and, and Star Trek Three, I knew it looked cheap. I knew they, they contorted themselves to bring back Spock. You know, the whole movie was just, you know, a big, you know, money grab to bring, you know, away, you know, to bring back Spock. Um, uh, I wasn't a huge fan. You know, like, like a lot of people, I loved the Steel in the Enterprise sequence. Mm-hmm. Loved it. Um, uh, loved the James Horner score. But even then, I was not a huge fan. It hasn't really moved uh, uh, the needle in my estimation. Um, and I, I couldn't wait for the next movie because I'm just like, okay, they, they they spent this whole movie getting Spock back. That's what this was about right. in a very convoluted, big reset, ridiculous right. way. It was a big reset movie. And I was like, okay, Star Trek Four, you know, hopefully that'll be better. Because I was never one of these odd, even nonsense. It was no. just not a great movie. Rob, what was your first experience like seeing Star Trek Three? <clears throat> you know, I was mixed. I, I, I thought there were things about it that I didn't like. It felt, it did feel cheap. But there were scenes in it that really got to me, like the scene where where Sarek mind melds with Kirk. Mm-hmm. Uh, then forgive me, it is not here. And there's that great piece of music, and I did like you mean the, and those great extreme close-ups on his lips and his you eyes. Know what? And it, Perhaps that's the reason why I like the film because I listened to it 
more than I saw it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and it plays way better as an audio as an audio than it does mm. in the theater. I, I think you might be onto something because there was so much in the movie that I I I just like the biplane video game, the vector graphics biplane <laughs> video game, where you yeah. could see the edge of the mask of the alien. You know, right. your planet, welcome. There was all of this. It seemed very seventh grade school play mm-hmm. to yeah. me, mm-hmm. and and I think that had a lot to do with with Nimoy's direction. That even even in '84, I'm like, yeah, I'm not I'm not feeling this movie. However. The feeling of family amongst the, the 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 crew. I liked the fact that you have the, you know, Sulu flips a guy. Don't call me tiny, mm-hmm. you know, and 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 Uhura's like, get back in the closet, you mm-hmm. know, to Mr. Adventure, and right. and all everybody kind of well, with the exception of maybe Chekhov didn't get his moment to shine, but he got to wear that great collar, the, the wor- yeah, the worst, <laughs> the pink, uh, worst yeah. Buster Brown, Fishkin, Buster Brown. But I did like, you know, there was something. Emotional about it from a from a family perspective, mm-hmm. and the whole idea about getting getting together and and rescuing Spock, and then you get to the end. I mean, for as for as visually pedestrian as the movie is, it got me in the feels a little bit. Totally. Got me in the feels. Totally. Well, I think that 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 scene where the Enterprise. Goes down in flames. Or yeah, that, that snare drum or whatever. That's a very that impactful made me more scene. upset than the death of Spock in, in Star Trek Two. Well, because oh. you knew Spock would be back, right? right. Yeah. You can't kill Spock. Yeah, but I don't care Enterprise. what they're saying. You don't. They they just, say in the media. It's like he's got to come back. Yeah, so, right? Rafe, yeah. before we get too far ahead, what, yeah. what was your experience like? Do you remember seeing Star Trek Three for the first time? I don't remember seeing it for the first time. Um, I, I'm just remembering. I remember the movie, and I, after Star Trek II, it didn't move me that much. Right. It again, it it felt uh, to me, it felt more like a TV episode yeah. than Star Trek II. Absolutely. Star Trek II was a great, you know, run silent, run deep. Yes, and uh, this was a little family drama where they killed the Enterprise. Right, and by the way, that sequence that was instead of just like poof gone. It's like it goes, it disintegrates piece by piece. Oh, the island oh effects work on yeah. that yeah. is beautiful. Great. Like space dock is gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the destruction of the Although Enterprise it's is dumb. Yeah, it's dumb, but it, <laughs> it looks great. But the 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 you know the whole uh, destruction of the Enterprise, uh, you know, where they really milked it. Um, you know, when it just starts to melt and explode, and it's just it's and yeah, it's comet. It's, Oh, it's and so sad. And it burns the... up in the atmosphere. It's what have so I done? sad. Yeah. And I, you know, I've said this before. It's even better in the comic book because there's a moment where Kirk goes into the transport and closes his eyes for a second because he knows this is the last time he's going to see the Enterprise. And it, like they really understood like what it meant rather than him just rushing off the ship and not taking it a beat to like say, am I doing the right thing here? Um, and, and the comic book kind of nailed it. Um, it's 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 a very schizophrenic movie, and look, a lot of that, and we've talked about this in the past. Um, Paramount still was producing under the aegis of the TV division. Right. It did not have a big budget. There was a lot of concern that it was Leonard's first movie, mm-hmm. so they weren't letting him do a lot. They saddled him with a DP who was a zillion years old, you know, an old veteran, Charles Carell, you know, and the first thing that Leonard and Charles Carell wanted to do was shoot the movie in Hawaii, mm-hmm. you know, for the Genesis Planet. And they're like, no, we're going to shoot it on the back, you know, in a, in a stage. So just like they used to do with the old show, huge mistake. Right. Like, I think that would have helped that movie enormously mm-hmm. um, to, to, to be on location as opposed to be in the stage. I mean, that dates the movie horribly. Uh, you know, scenes where the rocks start lurching up and, <laughs> you know, he's thrown across the soundstage and, you know, they, they battle it out. Um, 
you know, and then they really just didn't know what to do with David and Savic. And, you know, a lot of that comes from the fact that, you know, I remember the time the feeling was, oh, is David, you know, being set up to replace Kirk? And so that, you know, Shatner didn't like Merritt Buttrick, and so they had to kill him off. Uh, you know, Merritt Buttrick was never replacing Shatner no, as Kirk. No. I mean, he didn't have the charisma. He didn't have uh, any of the, the qualities. Um, he had uh, hair. He had the hair. He, yeah. had the, he, had he was a preppy. I mean, he yeah. looked like a preppy. I mean, he was a square pegs, pegs kid. Also, the acting in the film. Uh, look, Christopher Lloyd, he's chewing the scenery, but the captain of the Grissom, yeah. And the oh, Starfleet oh, yeah. Admiral, the performances are so Morrow, yeah. just yeah, Admiral Morrow was so they were so I didn't believe those people for a second. They seemed like they were two bit actors. I mean, not to you know make fun of anybody, but the acting was just so wooden and Genesis so. This is a galactic controversy. They they just seemed like friends of Leonard. Yeah, mm. it was it 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 was it was the bus and truck tour of. <laughs> going through you Minneapolis. You are so right. And I, when I look at, that's exactly what that scene in the bar is. Mm-hmm. It's warmed over, third-rate Star Wars cantina scene. It feels right. like mm-hmm. what the cantina scene was like when Stuart Freeborn did it before they reshot it right. with all those great Rick Baker aliens. Correct. It's just so bad. And Alan Miller, you know, uh, you know, and, and, and D. Kelly looks at him, how'd you get so, uh, how can you not hear with ears that large? And it's just like. Well, at least that's the way he played it, though. Well, because D. Kelly could make any line work. Yeah, I, but that actor, like, he, he, he wasn't cool. It was like Leonard's like, he's got to be an alien. Let's make him an alien. And the makeup was weird. <laughs> I didn't believe for a second that that guy could get anybody anywhere, much less well, to the Genesis planet. All I need to say, you know, like, if this is like a debate and you had your closing argument, I have two words for you. Klingon dog. Okay? Yes. You know, it's like that that, that Klingon dog that, that Christopher Lloyd has at his eye. I mean, that's being puppeteered by the great Kirk Thatcher. Yeah. It's just awful. And it, why? Why? What is it? shtick. Mm-hmm. This will be our Yoda. You know, it's like, come on. Really? It's terrible. It looks terrible. And it just, the Klingons became a joke in this movie. They that's weren't correct. Threatening. That's why you cast John Larroquette, a great comedian, you know, as uh, you know, as Maltz early in his career. I do not deserve to live. Fine, I'll kill you later. <laughs> no, it, it you was... said you'd kill me later. <laughs> I lied. I lied. <laughs> yeah, the, there's there's so much in it, and I think that's the the problem I had, as you know, that early story treatment that Harv Bennett wrote was so much more interesting and so much more adult. It was Vulcan wanting to pull out of the Federation because they think it's the Genesis device is so monstrous, and it was the Romulans setting up a mining operation on the Genesis planet because it was rich with dilithium, and it was it was a much more interesting, much more politically intriguing story than what they shot. Yeah, Return got, the Genesis. We yeah, talked about rid of that, all yeah. of that stuff, and so much more interesting. And ugh. it would have been great to see the Romulans because the Klingons had been done at that time. You barely had seen. Anything with the Romulans, it was something that was ripe for exploration, right. you know, and you needed a good big bad. And the Klingons really, through the movies, became jokes. It wasn't until Next Generation sort of reclaimed them as viable uh, characters, um, uh, you know, that, that it really starts to work. And I think what we see here is, you know, Star Trek Two, they'd gone through a litany of screenwriters, and then, you know, Harv Bennett rewrote a lot of that, and they couldn't get it greenlit. Mm-hmm. You know, Harv was a great producer, but I don't know that he was that great a writer, and, um, you know, it needed like a Nick Meyer. And Star Trek Three, you know, Nick uh, Harv was like, I'm going to just write it because we don't have time. Right. You know, and it's not a good script. It's just not. 
Well, neither is Search, Search for Spock. I just said Star Trek Three. Ah, I said. No, Star I, Trek... I thought you meant his. Well, his version of Star Trek Two is not good. No, and you know it took Nick Meyer to make that work. But um, but Star Trek Three is not a good script, and that's why I you know I feel very strongly on Star Trek Four. All the bookends by Harv Bennett and Star Trek Four are not good, but the stuff in San Francisco that Nick Meyer wrote is very good. Yeah, and look, I I think again, what's really interesting is the movies, especially with Star Trek Three and Four, they suffer from the same problem. They they tried to make Star Trek this populist. Uh, accessible to everyone by making it elementary as opposed to being it should Star Trek should be what it's like the excitement of of being in a college philosophy course for the first time and dealing with heady subject matter is what Star Trek should be about I mean that's what when I was a kid watching the show I'm like these are really interesting ideas that's why it drew me in whereas Star Trek 3 seemed like it was it was made for people younger than I was. It took the wrong well, that watched it, it. it. The challenge with, with Star Trek has always been, especially with the movies, the actors are old. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the, these are supposed to be action heroes because they're supposed to be like action movies. But, you know, it's hard to believe that these guys who have been on the same ship for 30 years, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. that there's, first of all, it makes no sense that they're still in Starfleet at all. Right. But, <laughs> right. And then that they're still together, even right. on this, this putting because this they must mission be the together. worst officers ever. They never yeah. got promoted. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but it's so the premise of having these guys stay together for this long is strained, right? So how do you make them? And I guess that's what all these movies are trying to do is to find some way where it still makes sense for them to be together. But right. they to make them into action heroes at the same time is kind of difficult. Yeah. Well, to make it an action movie is difficult. Yeah. Because Star Trek has never been that. I mean, you can argue that Wrath of Khan is an action movie, but it's not really. There are a couple sequences in it, mm-hmm. but it's a cat and mouse movie. But, you know, and, and not only that, but Star Trek, I think Meyer was smart to embrace the resources that he had. So, you know, the Reliant was a redress version of the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. He was very smart and Katie. So nothing looks cheap. It doesn't take you out of the movie. Right. Even though a lot of stuff on regular one was just a bunch of rentals from, mm-hmm. you know, prop houses and stuff. It's still, you bought it. You know, it didn't take you out of the movie. Star Trek three, just everything looks oh. incredibly cheap. The Excelsior is an awful design for a show. That's supposed to be the ship that's cooler than the Enterprise. It, it, looks it had awful. Atari 2600 graphics on the oh, inside. Oh my that's right. God. I mean, you know, <laughs> Awful. Aw- I mean, those graphics, when it's counting down, I mean, this this scene should be so powerful. The Enterprise is about to self-destruct. And it's a nice scene leading up to that, right. where they go back to let that be your last battlefield, sure. destruct zero, zero, zero. Which I but- believe was a question in your book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then if you, you read have- it out loud, the book goes, <laughs> 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 The Atari graphics. And if you're going to, you know, covertly destroy your ship, is the computer going to be announcing 10, 9, 8, in yeah. case you're wondering? And then they make the Klingons look so stupid. Yeah. The, the, the computer is, is speaking. And speaking. what is it saying? <laughs> also, Star Trek Three doesn't really have an overarching story. No, there's beyond no Beyond the idea of going to get Star, uh, Spock back. There was no... In the original, in the original treatment, Return to Genesis... The Starfleet, I mean, uh, the Federation was in a state of disarray because most people didn't know the Genesis device had been built. Mm -hmm. And with its detonation and the creation of the Genesis planet, 
uh, Vol- the Vulcans up in arms, like what? Who, who was building this device? How mm-hmm. come we didn't know about it? So, so there was the threat of the the looming threat. The Federation was being torn apart right. by political forces by the outrage of the Genesis device, and and you had Sarek and uh, they stopped on on Vulcan before. That's mm-hmm. how they found it. Didn't Sarek did not come to Kirk's apartment? Right. You know, it had scope to it. It had something yeah. that was going on. Like, it wasn't just saving Spock's soul. It was sa- literally saving the Federation. And David Marcus was Oppenheimer. He wasn't like this right. punk kid. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and they just, again, I, I mean, I don't mean to blame Leonard Nimoy, but I thought he was really a bit out of his depth. Well, I think also a lot of it was, you know, he used the lore of coming back to get this opportunity, but nobody really trusted him. So right. it's not his film in a sense. Right. You know, I think a lot of it was a lot of the studio it was Eisner and you know Katzenberg and 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 obviously Harve, and you know all they really wanted was people love Spock. We got to bring Spock back. Right. And the whole movie is an exercise. Where, you know, the search for Spock. Are they going to find him? Of course they're going to find him. There's no <laughs> mystery there. And, and and so as a result, you sort of know the end of the movie before it even starts, right. mm-hmm. which is not particularly satisfying, is it? Yeah, it's not about much, just a reunion. It's yeah. it's an episode. Yeah. Hey, who, I, as an outsider, though, in this era, who, like, owned the the vision? Not not just, you know, we've got to make money, but who's, like, this is what Star Trek is about. This is how it's supposed to feel. This is what we believe the future is. Because as you go through the movies, they don't... It changes. They, you know, a little, a little more, way more than it's believable. Well, because different yeah. people, it's different people's vision. The first movie is a, but basically it's a franchise. Gene I mean, Roddenberry's vision. The second movie yeah. is really Nick Meyer. The third movie is Committee. Mm-hmm. Uh, fourth movie right. is definitely Leonard. The right. fifth is Shatner. You know, in the sixth, it's really a sort of Meyer and Nimoy. So each time you have very strong personalities mm. who are putting Vying their imprintor. for possession mm-hmm. of the soul of Star Trek. And you still have to keep certain people happy, whether it's the studio or the stars or, you know, the producer. Um, and so it, 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 there's no um, aesthetic uh, continuity between the movies. They change. They evolve. And every movie has a different tone. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and we've talked about this before. Star Trek Four is the funny one, the comedy. Mm-hmm. And so five, 5 feels like, well, the comedy was a huge hit. So we have to force comedy into Star Trek Five to a, pl- a plot about, you know, the plot to f- find God at the center of the universe after the Enterprise has been taken over and terrorists mm-hmm. have, you know, there's a lot going on there. None of it's funny. Right. <laughs> you know, one of the things, though, that, look, bringing back Mark Leonard... As, as Sarek was a huge coup. I mean, yes. for, as a fan, you, you of course, Mark Leonard famously played the Klingon captain of the Amar in Star Trek The Motion Picture, but he was unrecognizable. Right. But we hadn't seen Sarek in, since Journey to Babel. Yeah. You know, in the second season. So to have Mark Leonard come back, that was a huge coup. Mm-hmm. And I remember yes. when I saw the movie the first time, I'm like, wow, this, this is really And cool. you know that was a Leonard thing, I'm sure. Yeah. He's mm-hmm. like, oh, let's bring back Spock's dad. The fans will love it. Mark Leonard's a fine actor. You know, and and that the scene with with Shatner and 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 Sarek, I mean, despite the fact it's a little pedestrian, he's he's trying to be all arty. The way it's shot, the way it's absurd. shot, it's absurd. But the music's good. The music is the, great. That piece of music that Horner again, wrote. Yeah, the performances are great when you listen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really interesting. That, that, it's that, really well acted, and you can feel the the sadness being discovered in Kirk. You know his his helplessness, yeah. and you can feel Sarek feeling that. Oh, well, when he only, says, he, "Forgive me, it is yeah. not here." Yeah, you're just like, 
Oh, man. Yeah. Well, Even though we know where it is. And, and right. why it's heartbreaking is it, it, it's not only that he can't help one friend, he can't help two friends. Right. He can't help McCoy and he can't help Spock. So, you know, that's very powerful. And, you know, that's coming on off the very clunky beginning where McCoy is found in Spock's quarters where the door right. is ripped off and, you know, McCoy is like, climb the steps of Mount Soleil. But, you know, even Kirk's monologue about we've lost... You, know, you think, you know, absent friends and all that stuff, right. it too, is so artfully done, you know, and you're talking about, you know, I feel young and, you know, uh, um, you, you, all that stuff's beautiful. And then it's so clunky, the beginning, right. the way he talks about Spock in the beginning. This ship is on the b- b- bordering on, you know, uh, Catatonia uh, when right, it comes right, to Mr. Yeah. Spock. And it's like, what? Really? Yeah, the, yeah. Uh, the dialogues, what does that mean? I, I don't know. Not intellectual chaos. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, all this yeah, weird yeah. dialogue. Like, who, who wrote this? It's what is it supposed terrible. to convey? Yeah. It's terrible. And... Um, you know, and then you have the scene with Valkyrie, which is like out of Flash Gordon. I mean, I admittedly love it. You know, she's, you know, good looking and, you know, but even that it looks like it looks like the last thing they shot because they're on this cargo ship and they're in these really tight two shots. Right. And there's like some boxes with netting right. that's supposed to be the bridge of the ship. And they stay so tight, like clearly like they're in the corner of a soundstage. Right. <laughs> well, also, and you look at these guys like like it was the first time in the Star Trek universe we had seen merchants like Cyrano Jones mm. but it looked like these guys were from a completely different movie this merchant <laughs> this ship was, like remember Phantom Menace that awful captain of the uh, <sighs> Naboo ship yeah they're coming at us there's a and like the worst actor ever it was like this cherubic guy who was like just this dreadful actor. When do we get paid off? You know, and it was like soon, it was like the same soon. guy in Star Trek Three. <laughs> you know, he's like, yeah. yeah I, I what mean, are they doing? Well, even that was like, 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 why is it they, they took this page from this Star Trek or Star Wars aesthetic when mm-hmm. this kind of cool merchant ship design looks like it, 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 you're you're in a, a a trader captain and merchant prince's boat. You're in the boat from Indiana Jones and uh, well from Raiders. You and know, she's the, dressed the like Bantu, the princess of Mars, right you now with the yeah. cleavage and the, the Bantu- big. Royal outfit, and you know, and, and then that whole clunky conversation about, you know, I think you'll find that this Genesis stock footage from Star Trek II is it's very useful, useful yeah. to you. And she, you looked at it, <laughs> why, yes, goodbye. You know, it's like <laughs> I had oh, to make sure it was the actual data, you know, it's so clunky. You know, I like in movies now when somebody's getting money, it just get, it gets like in, in Casino Royale, you have to transfer the money to play the game, it happens in a second. Right. Put your hand on the control panel. What the twenty third century? You can't. You can't like transmit money that quickly. When do I get paid off? Well, I don't know. It's in your account. Well, they have to. Have rendezvous. you tried to make a Bitcoin transaction? <laughs> no, I have not. Forever. Yes, I yeah. do not. And look where that's got us. Right, but the, big... the future of money, man. <laughs> Cryptocurrency. Yeah. Uh, you know, Should I don't know. Be investing in Bitcoin. Forget the Star Trek podcast. <laughs> yeah. Talk about tech <laughs> advice from Rafe Needleman. <laughs> um. But yeah, and but then you get to um, <laughs> yeah, I'm still laughing at the intellectual chaos. God, the dialogue is awful. So, but um, the steel and the enterprise, which is this wonderful oasis of greatness mm-hmm. in the middle of a mediocre movie. You know, first of all, it showcases the family. They're all willing to sacrifice everything mm-hmm. to help Kirk, to help Spock. They all come together. It's a caper, like Rafifi or something. Right. You know, it's like they're all got something to do. It's organic that they have something to do right. as opposed to being forced. Right. Uh, you know, Sulu has that great, dude, call me tiny, like uh-huh. you said. Um, and it's wonderful. And the special effects are great. Somebody's stealing the ship out yeah. of space dock. Mm-hmm. It's fun. I, I, you know, I mean, it's, how can somebody be stealing a ship out of space dock? 
doing his nails. James B. Sicking, you know. And of course, people don't realize now, like people watching it, James B. Sicking means nothing to them. At the time, he was in Hill Street Blues and he played this narcissistic, egotistic SWAT captain. Right. He was everyone's favorite character in Hill Street Blues because Hill Street Blues was a television show. Yeah, it was a show. Co- it was a great cop show that changed television <laughs> and, and, and forever changed the fortunes of NBC. It be, you know, NBC became sort of the peacock network in terms of quality, like really like the high they were the ones green lighting great shows. So they were the Netflix, if you will, of, <laughs> uh, of, of, of the, the mid nineteen eighties. Appointment Thursday television. Yeah, yeah. And and yeah, it was Cheers and Hill Street Blues and all this great stuff. So um the, the James B. everyone knew James B. Sicking. So like that was like, like a huge like oh he's the captain as opposed to uh, uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off in uh, Generations it was actually like a cool thing right um, but uh, you know because he was the guy you loved to hate kind of as the captain of Excelsior but oh man <laughs> I, I don't, do we have to talk about this Star Trek three yes. it just bums me out because it, you know this is a show where we talk about things we like and we look. <sighs> We try to be positive, but sometimes we just have to accept brutal reality. I think it's important because this is something that people like defend and talk about how great it is. It's really important to explain why it's not. (laughs) You know? You're trying to to convince, you're trying to uh, educate people in matters of taste. Yeah. I had a friend tell me very recently that never works. Right. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? It's not taste. It's like it's, it's empirical fact. <laughs> you know, Here's, it's like this is not a good movie. We've been dancing around this for the whole episode. Yeah. The main problem with the search for Spock is it should have never been made. Right. Because it removes all the meaning from Star Trek II. Sacrifice. It takes it away. What? So what do you? So Spock should have stayed dead. Absolutely. Yes. And Absolutely. perhaps so should Star Trek have. I don't know about that. Dun, dun. I, I don't think, you know, apparently other people disagree that you need Spock to make good Star Trek. I don't think you need Spock. I think Spock was a great character who kind of made the ultimate sacrifice. And the great message was the good of the many outweighs the good of the few you, or the one. He made this sacrifice for his colleagues, you know, like people do in war. Mm-hmm. They, you know, they'll, they'll step on the grenade to save the platoon, right? Mm-hmm. Now, um... <laughs> At the end of this movie, it's the good of the one outweighs the good. Yeah. That's a horrible message. It's a horrible message. So, yeah. But the, the the thing with Star Trek has always been it was the it was Kirk Spock McCoy was the the id, the ego the holy super trinity. Ego. Yeah, it's Freudian. You take one of those things out, and, and it doesn't work. It doesn't work. I mean, it might it, it might work in many ways, but it's not. Start, but it's not the same you thing anymore. Explore that dynamic. How, when you lose someone that's that important to right. you, how do you go on? How, when you lose a part of your your psyche, mm-hmm. do you go I, on? I mean, I think that's a lot more interesting, and I think they could have created another character that you know, and not David Cutro as Zahn, but you know, like another character, you know, and and that would have been interesting to explore. Well, the the thing is, the character of Savick should have stepped into that role. Wouldn't that and, have been great? And either been successful at it or, or more interestingly, not successful at it. How can you be Spock? How can you replace yeah. somebody like right. that? Well, and not only that, Make it also an well, yeah. it destroyed the, the verisimilitude, the believability. Right. Because suddenly 
somebody can come back from there's no reason that just because you shot someone's dead body onto the genesis planet i don't care what the genesis field does it doesn't bring back a human being from the dead or vulcan wow. from and the then dead. this whole idea and then of... fall torpon the refusion <sighs> right i mean you can you can put your entire essence by by a, a touch into someone's head right. and and it, all of that it, it, it suddenly turned star trek into what was something that you could believe in yeah. To being something that crossed the line into mysticism. Fantasy, yeah. and, I've never fantasy, understood yeah. Vulcan mysticism. Because there isn't any. And, and the, <laughs> the problem with that is that that makes Vulcans immortal. Right. The fact that that works throws out every sort of relationship we have with the Vulcan society. And I mm-hmm. don't really care about accurate science. I'm not one of these. No, no, no. I'm not know, talking, I don't know about, what I'm talking about But the whole thing that I'm supposed to buy... This Vulcan boy is aging like this planet, and he's quickly <laughs> accelerated, and he's right. he suddenly become Leonard without a brain. You know, I mean, to me, Quick, as dopey, stop the aging, stop the aging. That's as dopey as anything in Spock's yeah, brain. I think absolutely. Spock's brain makes more sense than the plot of Star Trek Three when you really yeah, it analyze does. it. I mean, it's like, and then he's like an empty vessel that you know that needs to be you know reimplanted with his memories mm-hmm. and his thoughts, which you know. McCoy has downloaded basically, you know, and 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 does that erase the memory? Does that erase the memory of getting some nookie from Savick? Wait, what? Well, yeah, because the he got he under they the touching in the cave and all that. He goes to Ponfar and she, you know, she takes care of things. (laughs) Yeah, she she helps him out. That's the logical thing to do. But and all of that stuff, there's just so much. there's six Klingons that beam over to the Enterprise and they have to blow it up. I mean, they couldn't like keep them in transport or something. It was. It just seems so lame that that's how they lose the Enterprise. Just a couple of dudes were. I mean, they could have. They could have put force fields on the on certain decks. Well, once I mean, the shields drop, I mean, you think they could have just blown it up with phasers, right? <laughs> Why well, they need think. to go on board and like you know go hang out and you know listen to the computer talking. So, well, so, so there are there are plot holes and logical and scientific inconsistencies in Star Trek. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> well, I mean, you can always make. You know what it is to me. It's it, it all comes down to suspension of disbelief. Yeah, right. And and what you need to do is is and cleverly address it. Yes, and mm-hmm. suspension of disbelief comes in many flavors. Like there's no sound in space, but I believe at the end of Star Wars that you hear. Those explosions. It never, it never bothers me because Star Wars makes you believe. Mm-hmm. Like at the end of Jaws, Spielberg makes you believe that a compressed air container can explode if you shoot it and it would blow up a shark. He even famously says, they're going to be with me all the way through this mm-hmm. movie. By the time they get to the end of this movie, they're going to believe they're going to be with me too. Yeah, Peter Benchley hated it, right? And 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 basically was going to disown the whole thing, and then watched it with a bunch of friends, and and saw that everyone totally bought it, and he admitted that Spielberg was right. Totally bought it, and this movie is full of one. I don't believe. The, the sequences of one, I disbelieve so many of the scenes in yep. this movie, from the performances to the effects to the makeup effects to everything. I think why we like the stealing the Enterprise sequence so much is it's the most plausible sequence in the whole movie. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it refers back to, like you said, Rafifi, a great heist movie. And you love the scene. The music is great. And it isn't stupid. You're like, okay, <laughs> they're like stupid. stealing. They're ripping off a yeah. car. And everybody's yeah. playing their role. And and it's something that's plausible. The characters seem normal. Mm-hmm. But the rest of the movie just spins out into this weird realm of unbelievability that I can't stand. Well, plus it goes back to that whole loyalty that they have for Kirk. You know, I can, you know, I can't ask you, you know, to, to go any further. And they all like, yeah, we'll do anything. You know, you give the word Dr. Admiral. McCoy and I have to do this. Right. The rest of you do not. Yeah. 
It's believable when they sign up. That's great, Absolutely. and that's great. That's the heart of. That's the very heart of Star Trek. Yep, right it's there. It's a great, great moment. It's a great scene, and James Horner his very best. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know that's all great, and then they go fight. You know the claims, but you know Esteban is killed. Or is it Esteban? Who? I yeah, don't Captain know. Esteban. Captain Esteban, and you know he's terrible, terrible and he's stupid. Why does every other captain have to be stupid? Even in the original series, they were smart. Like even they were insane, mm-hmm. they were smart. Mm-hmm. You know, like all, in the movies, they're all dopes. You know, um, except with, for Sulu. Except for Terrell. Terrell's cool. Well, fly her apart then. Sulu was stupid to want the promotion. Because that meant that he was out of the oh, movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, and then just once they get to the Genesis plant, I just, you know, I know a lot of people think Shatner's finest moment is, you know, when he finds out his son is dead. I hate that. I think that is a laughable moment. You, you, you kill my son. You cling on bastard. He says it three times. I don't think that's a great performance. I, I, and I don't buy it. I, he has no connection whatsoever. With you, 100%. He didn't have it in Star Trek Two. He didn't have it in Star right. Trek Three. Where you said any chemistry between those two actors, um, and they didn't have. They hate. They didn't like each other. Right. Um, so Which I don't buy for Star that Trek at all. Too. Right. Yeah. Because their awkward hug at the end works mm-hmm. so well because they're so awkward. Well, just imagining Kirk. As a father, is it, it hits you when when you first find it, Star Trek Two, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, wait, he has a son. I have a son. Wait, he has a son. It's like, hang on, stop. Give me like a couple of days to process this because it doesn't fit. Even if he didn't know, it's just kind of like that's, like not, that's, that's not his. He's a captain, yes. Yeah. Father, right. different. Well, that, that's the response you should have to the Enterprise blowing up. Yeah, right. That's the, what he loves. That's correct. Is the Enterprise, not uh, Merritt Budrick. Um, you know, and, and, you know, and of course, look, it was, it was unavoidable, but, you know, Kirstie's decision not to come back and do mm-hmm. Savick, you know, Robin Kirstie. doesn't help things. It, it doesn't help. And I almost wish, at least they were smart when they couldn't get uh, Kirstie Alley for Star Trek Six. They made it another character right. with Valeris. Um, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't love recasting beloved roles. So, like, when suddenly Robin Curtis is Savick, don't love it. Yeah, it's no, no, you know. No, because she's nothing. fine. She's fine. It's just I don't like recasting. Right. And, to, and she pays it very different. You know, um, Kirstie Alley plays it with a bit of a twinkle. Right. And Robin is very, I mean, this is because of how Leonard directed her, mm-hmm. very stoic and very straight ahead, very emotionless. Right. Not repressing emotion. But even her direction, or her line readings are very sort of stilted and Odd. very, I mean, I don't understand Leonard Nimoy never gave a stilted line reading. He never acted like, and and even 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 when you meet Mark Leonard as his father, mm-hmm. my wife attend me. You know, it's it's yeah. there's always meaning like behind the people, meaning behind the words. Yes, and uh, the the performances. But when, you, but when you hear dialogue spoken that they can't possibly understand what they're saying, or they wouldn't say it like that. Mm. It's just it it rings untrue. Yeah, third graders reading Shakespeare. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yep. Yeah. I felt yes. like that. Yeah, that's I, right. that's exactly. I felt that that yeah. was exactly how most of the cast was behaving in mm-hmm. the movie, the, especially the mm-hmm. secondary cast, the people yeah. we'd never. I mean, why? Why does an alien have to be your planet? Welcome. You know why? I don't believe that guy. No. You know, you walk in. He's just this goofy alien. Why does he have to be goofy? Why can't he be a badass? Yeah. Why can't he be like? I like this planet. Something like that. Why does he have to be and have weird? It's like, let's make him a wacky alien so people know he's a wacky alien with little trees growing out of his chin. We don't know, Rob. I don't know either. We don't know. I don't know. I just, it's a long time I, ago. I mean, it's what you said about the elephant in the room. It's like, do we really need to 
jump through these hoops to bring Spock back, or if we did, could we have brought him back in the teaser? But of course, the reason we don't is so Leonard can get up to speed on directing and not have to direct himself. But then there are moments, I mean, when they get back to Vulcan, the actors they cast as as the Vulcan master or the- Oh, Dame Judy Anderson. Dame Judy Anderson. I love her. When she She's gets great. what you ask has not been done since ages past. I mean, I liked her performance. I thought, okay- Here's a classically trained actress oh, yeah. who knows what she's doing. She's, she's on the great. screen. I was like, whoa. You she's know. like in league with like Celia Lofsky mm-hmm. as T'Pau. Yeah. She's great. And, you know, it's a shame because, again, that's where the cheapness comes in. There was much more in Vulcan with it. The temple and the statues and a lot of cool stuff they were going to do, which all got broomed because of budget. And so, you know, you have the up the stairs and the little scene. And then, you know, and then, you know, the, the cliffhanger, which this was like the year of the cliffhanger. It's like... Uh, you know, it's just like it's another one of these. Uh, we're gonna go find Han Solo, and we're not coming back until uh, we find him. You know, and it's like <laughs> it's like your name is Jim. It's like oh, you finally lean forward. Okay, well, if we're gonna go get Spock back, okay, I'm with you now. Yeah. So, and then end of movie. It's right. like come on, really? It's not a very satisfying ending for a major motion picture. And you know, obviously the movies, you know, certainly Star Trek Four. Uh, made a lot of money for the studio, and it it changed the direction of Star Trek forever. Yes. You know, it it made it a it made it a franchise, an actual working franchise um, that they wanted to continue. Yes. And, yeah, it wasn't film the film anymore. It was like right. we have a franchise, we yeah. have a a hit series. And is was that was that ultimately good? for Star Trek, or at least the Star Trek that we knew. I don't know. And I think it wasn't. Mm. I think it wasn't. Bold words. And, you know, if if Star Trek IV hadn't happened, would Star Trek The Next Generation have happened? No, no. no it was the success of Not Star Trek all. IV that really convinced them that, you yeah. know, the cast was getting older. There's no way they could afford them. They needed yep. a, to do a TV series. Um, so four cemented yeah, you know, so, Star Star Trek as so, a franchise. So they made the most expensive TV series ever made. Correct, at the time. Yeah, it was a TV series. I mean, these yeah. films were super cheap, and they look super cheap. They look like you know, uh, bad TV. And um, uh, you know, Nick Meyer famously passed on Star Trek Three. Of course, they went to him mm-hmm. after the Star Trek Two, and he says, you know, why would I want to do? That why again? would I want to do a resurrection? I know how to kill people. I don't know how to bring them back. You know, and and he wanted to have nothing to do with it. He was the one who famously did not want to shoot the coffin. On the Genesis planet, right. that Bob Salen had to go do it because you, uh, Nick Meyer wanted to have nothing to do with it, you know. And I give him credit for sticking to his principles. And then, you know, he probably would have gotten a lot of money to come do Star Trek Three, and he turned it down because he just thought it was uh, ridiculous. If he did, can you imagine what kind of movie we would have got, though? It would have been better. It would have been better. It would have been better. It wouldn't have had dialogue, galactic controversy, and uh, your life is never stood for intellectual chaos, Jim. I mean, it's like in your ab- <laughs> he says in your absence, Genesis right. has become how how long have you be gone? A couple of days? <laughs> like like how do they even know there's a Genesis planet? How is this information? W- right. Was the Federation news service? Did they all travel? Look at this new planet. The Genesis device went off. It was so weird because it's like yeah, it's it's, it's like when people were exploding atom bombs in the eight. And they weren't announcing, hey, we just exploded. We did a nuclear <laughs> right. test. You Let's know, watch like, it on the 5 o'clock. Here's you know, David They Brinkley. would have like clammed up and not released the fact that this even happened. Nobody would know. Mm-hmm. And like... <sighs> Space drones. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So te- but they didn't even know where anyone was going. You know, it yeah. was like, eh, we're g- we don't know what's going to happen. 
I, it was such a weird. It's such a weird movie. It is. It's a really weird movie. It's the it's it's the crux. It's it, it's the it's the hit point in the timeline that it goes one way or the other. Yeah. And and you know it was such a weird decision not to bring BB Besh back. Um, you know, all of a sudden she's go, you know, it picks up right after Star Trek Two ends, right, with the cliff notes, and uh, you know, BB Bash is nowhere to be seen. Right, her son dies, not even a mention about yeah. Carol. Yeah, um, and they're on the ship, presumably going back to Earth. Yeah, you know, they're still traveling. Yeah, where where but did he's she not? Go? He's already on Genesis, hanging around with the bad puppets. <laughs> and how did they all get assigned? Did the Grissom go there? I mean, it's literally been a matter of. Days, if not yeah, hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Enterprise was going really slow because yeah. it got damaged, so it was going. Sure. It was limping home. Well, I, you know, I think occasionally it's okay for us to uh, go on slightly uh, less positive journeys on our show. Many journeys are possible. <laughs> <laughs> But no, I mean, look, we started the show to celebrate all that is good and noble and and great about Star Trek. And I think we've very successfully done that. You Until know, now. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? They asked for it. Right. They were like, well, you want us to talk about Star Trek 3? Sure, we'll talk about Star Trek 3. <laughs> you won't like what we have to say. You want to but... do business with me? I will do business with you. <laughs> you know, and, and look, I, I, and here's the thing. It's the start of a conversation, not the end of it. Right. I'm I'm very interested in hearing what people have to say who are fans who defend it. Absolutely. You know, I, I mean, we're not the kind of person who says, like, you know, well, that's the end of the conversation. No, it's like yeah. I want to hear what people who have to say. Why people – I'm very interested in why people love that movie. I get the nostalgia thing. It was my first Star Trek movie in the theater. I get that. We'll, we'll sit at a folding table and says, Star Trek Three is bad. Change my mind. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, though, I think ultimately – you know, we we are we look at Star Trek as we're, we're we're so familiar with the text. But if you're a casual lover of Star Trek, and you come in Sacred and watch text. this film, Sacred. the idea of family, the idea of saving your friend, there's all of these things in Star Trek Three that I think a lot of people connect with. There's a lot of good in it. How there's a lot of good in it. How could you start with Star Trek Three? You don't know the family. Yeah. Right. And you don't care about this dude who died. Well, you so, see the cliff notes. They have that. The first two minutes are just a recap of right. uh, previously on Star Trek Two. You know, I hate when I was a kid. I hate. Well, I was not a kid, but when it came out in '84, I really hated that opening when they show the the, the square that gets bigger. Yeah, I'm like, what? Like, give me a little credit. I mean, I understand why the studio, the studio, their fingerprints are all over it, but. Their fingerprints are all over it. I think that's why it's not a good movie. I'm bored talking about it. I, I, I just, um, I just, um, you know, you could tell there's just so much interference. And look, Leonard talked about it a lot. This was not a movie where he had a lot of autonomy. And um, it's just, it's a freaking mess. It's a mess. Well, look, what we've never really received in the Star Trek movie series, other than I think in the first one maybe, and maybe to a certain extent Star Trek Two, even when Frakes was doing First Contact, I mean he was. It, we've never had a true auteur, a true writer director coming on board. Mm-hmm. Even J.J. Abrams didn't write and direct Star Trek O Nine, and we've never had. That's why I would love to see what Quentin Tarantino does with with a Star Trek movie. No, oh, absolutely. Because we've never had a. Like I, I would love to see a, a, a real auteurist vision. The closest we got was, I think, Star Trek Two, really, and that was done at the last minute with 
not a lot of money and 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 Nicholas Meyer came in but what if you had somebody who whose life's mission was to make a Star Trek film and who right. who dreamt about it and was was able to to realize you know, I, I hate to say it, but I go back to what Ryan Coogler did with Creed. Mm, that's a great Ryan analogy, Coogler, You know, yeah, he 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 was a kid that his mother was dying of cancer, and him and his father watched the Rocky movies together, right. and he came up with this idea. I've got this idea. I'm going to take this moribund franchise. I mean, what balls? He goes to Sylvester Stallone and yeah. sells him on this idea, makes Rocky this a secondary character, and he creates this whole thing. Yet is it is easily the most Rocky I think of all the Rocky. Uh, sequels. Right. It's made by a, a, an indie filmmaker who, who truly loved, loved it and mm-hmm. used his clout to make it. Uh, uh, because I don't think he could have made that if he hadn't made Fruitville Station. No. Um, and then you know, even Creed Two, which is an, definitely inferior to Creed, it's not nearly as good. But to to mine the mythology of arguably the dopiest of the Rocky movies and make it give it heart mm-hmm. with the whole Rocky Four, with uh, you know, I shall I will crush you and that whole. Which is Rocky Ford is not a good film, but to take that and use that, I mean, is is brilliant. I mean, it's so the, the, smart. The one thing Tarantino, I think, could do, I hope, he makes good bad guys. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. and that's one thing that we've, I think, we've really been lacking in in the movies. I mean, there's just there's you, it's you a don't great care. Point. Yeah. Krooge is a warmed over con, a more campy comedic. Khan, you know, I mean, he has lines, you know, look, they're, they're funny and in the Khan context is, of the movie. Exhilarating, isn't it? You know, I mean, yeah. fine. It, it, it's but, fun in the moment, but it's not a great villain. Yeah, you need somebody who gets in, really gets inside, you know, Kirk's head. Mm-hmm. And I think Tarantino's living there right now, so he would, he would get that. I, I agree with yeah. you. I mean, Star Trek, the problem is all of the movies have felt sophomoric mm-hmm. after mm-hmm. Star Trek Two. They they really do feel like first year drama course excursions, and we we haven't really seen an A list Star Trek movie since well Star Trek the Motion Picture. But you know, really. here's the funny thing: we've been sitting for the last hour talking about how mediocre Star Trek Three is. I won't say bad, and yet it's not even at the bottom of the worst Star Trek movies. It's still like middle Star Trek movie, right? It's like not the worst. It sounds like we're talking about the worst Star Trek movie. It's not even close to right. the worst Star Trek movie. Have you done that show? <laughs> no, we're going to do it. I think we're going to do it for uh, July 4th because we did the countdown last holidays yep. where we did the 100 greatest, uh, 51 greatest Star Trek episodes. That was impressive. I listened to that. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was epic. <laughs> All three parts. I, I, which was supposed to be one 90-minute show and then it became... Two and then it became three, and they, I think the last one was like two hours. Yeah, it was insane. But um, I, I want to, um, I, I want to do the movies. You know, rank the movies as our next massive undertaking. Right. Um, which means we're gonna have to talk about Star Trek Three again. Oh God. <laughs> I um, I just had an image in my head when Rob was talking of Brad Pitt as Captain Kirk. Okay. Directed by Quentin Tarantino. Okay. But, you know, it's like when they wanted to cast Robert Redford as Captain Kirk in the 70s. But I don't dislike that image in my head. No, I, I think he could, I, I think he, I could see him as Captain Kirk. I'm Captain Kirk. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway. Who do you, who, who do you cast as Spock? That's a notoriously difficult role to cast. I don't know. I don't know. It's a tough one. It's 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 almost impossible. I mean, and Carl Urban is McCoy. 
<laughs> you know, I, I, I think Carl Urban is the best part of those movies. He is. And that's why I think people responded to Beyond because he had a, a thankless role in Into Darkness. And in Beyond, at least he got more to do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there were all those Spock McCoy scenes. And not, that, I'm not a fan of that movie, but I think that it's the Spock McCoy scenes that gave that movie a pulse that people really right. responded to. Oh, well. That's another podcast, though. But Another episode. Trek 3. Trek 3. In Search of Cash. It's not dead <laughs> as long as we remember it. Um <laughs> Oh wow! You know we're ending on such a Debbie Downer. <laughs> can we? Can, let's talk about things we like about Star Trek Three, okay? You okay. Know, let's let's talk about let's talk about something you love, and uh, other than stealing the Enterprise, because we've talked about this. Rob Burnett, what do you love about Star Trek Three? You know, I do like Shatner's. Aside from what you said about him, I've always hated him missing his chair. Since when would Shatner mm-hmm. fall back and not land in his chair? You Klingon bastard! You've killed my son. I mean, like you had said, like you said, Rafe. What what? What what relationship do they have? Right. You know, he barely right. knows him. He's literally known him for a week, you know, and, oh, it's my, you know, he knows that David grew up without him. Mm-hmm. Is that David? You asked me to stay away. He knows he was supposed to stay away. Mm-hmm. But I do like Shatner's performance. I, I the scene, even though uh, Admiral Morrow is not good, he's, Shatner's great in that scene. Mm. You know, I love Shatner's, I love Shatner with, Mark Leonard, I love Shatner throughout. Even with with at the end of the movie, he the way he looks, his facial expressions. I do love Shatner's performance throughout the film. He's mm-hmm. very good in that movie. Very I good. mean, there are the noticeable exceptions where Leonard, I think, was very tentative in his direction mm-hmm. because I think you know he knew the sensitivity of Shatner to Leonard directing. So you have things like "I've had enough of you" and kicks, you know, and 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 you know, it's it's a mess. But but there are the moments of subtlety. Shatner's for the most part really good in that movie. Yeah, but I agree that the, the, but that goes back to the sophomoric. What a stupid that whole thing by its conception is stupid. The kicking and trying to make it operatic like mm-hmm. that. It's but the small stuff like how many fingers am I holding up? I mean that, that stuff's really yeah. good. That's you not know, that and I, funny. you know, and he's he's uh, yeah, some really it's a really nice nuanced performance, and it just it's it, it's it, it it slips in the catch occasionally, it, like slips out of drive, you know, into right. you know. And D. Kelly here. is good, really good. D. Kelly's D. always good. Yeah, but he's never been given this much stuff to do. Yeah, and he he pulls it off. He even, just even... never got the credit he deserved. He uh, was that's like the anchor true. of that show. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's like so said, good. Three legged stool. Yeah. yeah. I, I just have to jump in and say my the thing that got me most uh, that turned my emotional button your emotion on, chip on like, yeah turned my emotion chip on near the end when not the part where uh, he says your name is Jim right. but right after that when the soundtrack plays for the first time in the movies or the second time in the movies oh the Star Trek the theme. Star Trek yeah. theme yeah, and we hear it, and I went the courage oh. music. Yeah. Oh. Where have you been, my love? <laughs> it's it it still gets me. Yeah, it still gets me yeah. because it's the perfect sort of capitulation of that feeling. That's great. That's great. What about you, Rafe? What oh, do you think? God. Well, I was remembering now. This is 1984, right? Mm-hmm. 83. 83. No, 84. Oh, it's 84. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Corrected. So I'm in college. Okay, mm-hmm. trying to be. Something Captain else. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm trying to remember this one. Um, I always like the casting they did for the Vulcan high priestesses. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They always hope. I, my, uh, my, I come from a long line of formidable Russian Jewish women. Mm-hmm. And there's like, 
Grandma, please, I'll do anything you right. want. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that's that to me. The, those those performances ring. Well, you know, we, we've said yeah. this on the podcast. It's come many times that only Jews should play Vulcans. I've heard that, and I completely agree. Uh, because uh, you know, yeah. it's just that's. I mean, if you look at all the great Vulcan performances, they're all Jewish because it's it's all so my Vulcans are so marred in. Jewish mythology, Jewish culture. I mean, obviously, right. Leonard talks right. about this and the, the the rabbis doing the gesture. I mean, it's not like a. It's just. It's just. It just is what it is. Yeah. So. Uh, that, that, and, okay, Jolene was a great shiksa as a, as a, as, a, <laughs> as a Vulcan. I'll give her credit, but otherwise, yeah. I mean, it's true. I mean, the Vulcan priest. I mean, Celia Lofsky came from the Yiddish theater, mm-hmm. and uh, Dame mm-hmm. Judy Anderson was, was freaking great, though, as a Vulcan priestess. I don't know if she was Jewish, though. That may negate my whole theory. I, think, I don't I think, 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 so. I think. I think when you're Dame Judith Anderson, <laughs> yeah. I know. I think I may be off on that one. Unless you change her name when she immigrated. <laughs> Uh, from possible. the old country. I'll go with that. I don't know. Somebody, somebody will t- let us know. But no, I, I think you're right. I mean, there's a, there was Leonard Leonard brought a, a, a otherworldly ethnicity without knowing really, mm-hmm. and and it was it was and Mark Leonard as well. I mean, I, it's the same kind of thing. And it's it's so funny that you look at Ben Cross mm-hmm. as Sarek and and now Ethan Peck as Spock. It, it, it to me, I I I don't relate. I just don't under understand um okay uh, you want to know what uh, you know my favorite start thing about star trek 3 we also have to say something that's good to negate the bad i love that jacket that shatner wears on the away on the landing party mission he you know i remember that was one of the first stills they released from the movie and he looks like such a badass he has the phaser out (laughs) and the leather jacket and I'm like, oh man, is he cool? Yeah. He's gonna kick some butt so the, in this movie. The best I, thing about this movie is wardrobe. Yeah, yeah it's the members only jacket. Okay. No, it, it's it's With the, it, high, the just, big high, the back. big high back. Yeah. I mean, you know, again, it was Robert Fletcher because, and you know, it has the worst costume in the history of Star mm-hmm. Trek, which is Chekhov's right. little Lord Fauntleroy uh, outfit, uh, the Pushkin outfit. Right. Um, but there's some great. I love seeing them in casual, out of uniform. Yeah, mm-hmm. like it's right. so cool to see them sort of casual. And 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 Shatner just looks totally badass so, in all that Genesis stuff. I I do like it when it was. It wasn't until we got to some of the movies. I think was it this one? Yeah, it, I think it was Star Trek Three where you first started to see the world of Star Trek outside of the Federation, mm-hmm. outside of military. Even when they did it in the original shows. It was it was still the same sets, the same aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. So finally, in the movies, they got to explore the real world for people who aren't in Starfleet, right? Mm-hmm. The the freighters and yeah, the bars right. and all. And granted, it was a direct ripoff of Star Wars, but mm-hmm. you had to at that point. Mm-hmm. And I always wanted to know what the life, what the world was like out if you weren't smart enough to be in Starfleet. It's so funny you say that because I think that's why scenes like Kirk's apartment in Star Trek Two yep. and um, the uh, uh, the, the, the space terminal in San Francisco and Star Trek The Motion mm-hmm. Picture resonated for us. Because these were things we didn't see in the TV series. And they landed so powerfully, I think. Right. I mean, I remember Star Trek too. Oh, my God, it's Kirk's apartment. You could see Earth out the window. It's San Francisco. That's so cool. And it was the same was thing such a, in was... Star Trek The Motion Picture, the first time you see the Golden Gate Bridge mm-hmm. and, and the shuttle landing and that great... ECU of Kirk's eyes through the window when he lands and mm-hmm. saying stuff's great. That was one of the smartest things about the original series was we're never going back to Earth. I mean, not not, not current right. current right. day yeah, Earth, yeah, maybe nineteen yeah. forties right, right. Earth, sure, twenty third yeah, yeah. century. Right. But we're we're never going to show Earth, maybe because they couldn't afford this, couldn't sure. afford it. But even just as as a dramatic statement, it's like this is not about that. Right. I love that. 
Yeah. I did too. I, I remember, you know, his apartment. I'm like, why doesn't he have a mansion? Why does he have an old Victorian, you know, on Knob Hill or right. something? Why? Why does he? And you realize he I does. remember he Airbnb's it. <laughs> yeah, you wonder like who keeps the does he have a maid come in once a week? He's on a five year mission. Who's taking yeah, right. care of the apartment? But that's but what, he Airbnbs it. Yeah, you had to, I remember watching Star Trek Two and coming to grips with the fact that of course, why would he have a big house? He wouldn't. He's never yeah, he's out never never home. Right. He's got this little apartment. He's got he a, a nice shack. view and a cool yeah, he's well, he's got like a cool bachelorette love that's pad. The, that's the line in Star Trek Two where he and Spock are standing in the hallway there and Spock asks him where are you where are you going now and he says home yeah yeah like he's depressed about it he's depressed because yeah. that's not his home yeah. the enterprise is yeah, his home yeah the bridge is his home yeah wherever he lays his hat is yeah. his home yeah yeah he's, he's a like stone. he's like brandy <laughs> on the sea let's think about brandy okay uh so anyway uh, before we go does anybody have a star trek 3 trivia question for the trivia master oh boy <laughs> come on come on you got to have one Oh my goodness! No, let's let's see. No. Test the organian. <laughs> that's mean. Is it? That's that's very. Okay, that's you have so a okay. You have, I've got oh, one. Oh, he got one. He got one right here. What right. what famous uh, Star Trek guest star did they bring back for Star Trek Three? Give me a hint. You know? No, I don't. You know? Come on. Star Trek guest star. Well, it's not Mark Leonard because we already talked about him. But you know who it is. It's not really a guest star. It's 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 a a a, a previously a recurring character, a, pre- yes, a previously right. recurring cast character who we saw in the first the season of the original series, for... who comes back and we see her oh. for the second time in the movie theater series. Rand, see yes. trivia master <laughs> yeah. right there. Yeah. Yeah. you got to give it up for yeah, Rafe Nealman. Rand. Yeah. Um, okay, that that was a really interesting episode. I'm curious to see. How it's received, right? You know, you can tell us how much you hate us on Inglorious <laughs> Trek uh, at Twitter or Inglorious Trek Experts on Instagram. Uh, and again, you know, it's only our opinion, even if we're right. Um, <laughs> you know, you you may have a very di- different opinion, and that's fine too, because you know, whatever. <laughs> so, <laughs> what a ring! What a di- what a dynamic ending to this episode. <laughs> But, you know, that's the thing. It's, it's, it's like, you know what, if we all agreed about everything, it wouldn't be a very interesting show now, would it? Well, sure it would. Okay. <laughs> so I want to thank uh, Robert. Uh, I, I, a really special thank you again to Rave Needleman for once again joining us here on the show. It's it's such a thrill every time he's here. Um, if, you, if you're not familiar with his book, um, the official Star Trek trivia book, uh, you can find it uh, in a dusty archive uh, somewhere in a really old library. At, at or garage eBay. sales across the country. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But if you're really cool, you got to get the hardcover book club edition yeah. of it. The sci-fi uh, book club edition. It, it's a great book. We all have it. We're not giving it to you. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's just, it's a really a thrill to have him again. So, uh, again, thank you for joining us. And if you like uh, Inglorious Trexperts, check out Disco Nights, our Star Trek Discovery podcast, a 430 movie, and best new movies never made on Monday nights. And um, please rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts, even if you disagree with us about Star Trek Three, uh, because uh, we got you to think about your favorite movie. <laughs> and uh, you can follow us on Inglorious Tracker on Twitter, Inglorious Trexperts on Instagram, and there's all kinds of fantastic Inglorious Trexperts logo wear available at IngloriousTrexperts.com or Inglorious Trek. You can look like um, 
not the trivia master, Bill Ritter, but the sound master, uh, Bill Ritter, in his bitchin' Inglorious Trexperts t-shirt. And I think there's other kinds of cool Inglorious Trexperts swag for sale there as well. So uh, while we're talking about Bill Ritter, a the very- search for swag. The search for swag. <laughs> you can, and it'll have a much happier ending than Star Trek Three. Uh, your name is Redbubble. Um, <laughs> what? What are you talking about? Um, anyway, uh, Bill Ritter, thank you uh, for um, being at the board, making it sound good. Uh, um, in, and you're going to have to listen to this again when you mix it, so my apologies. Uh, thank you to Natalie Mascali, our producer, who's over at the monitors. Uh, uh, just keep an eye on us to keep us out of trouble. And uh, everyone here at Electric Surge Network and Electric Surge Studios um, for the use of the room. And uh, until next Saturday, uh, keep on trekking and gloriously, of course, engage. This podcast is a production of the Electric Surge Network.